What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Our Naked Story Podcast. Hope you guys are all staying nice and cool out there, because I know out here in Southern California, it is scorching. On today's episode of the podcast, we speak to Patrick Sweeney and his wife, Sam, just two of the most interesting people I've ever met, and I'm really excited to share their story. So before we get into that, a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Alpen Organics. If you guys have been looking for a high quality CBD company, uh, Alpen Organics is definitely the way to go. I've been using Alpen Organics for quite some time now. Uh, and you guys have heard me talk about it before. Uh, I'm telling you though, it's I've tried a lot of different CBD companies before and this is by far the best company that I've tried. Um, it actually makes you feel something, you know, cause I get kind of nervous in crowds or I get nervous when I do the podcast, stuff like that. So uh, I just do a kind of little drop underneath my tongue and I'm good to go. Uh, Alpen Organics is 100% vegan. Uh, it's USA hemp only. It's lab tested and there's absolutely no THC inside of it. So you're not getting high. You're not feeling weird. You're just feeling nice and calm and mellow and you know, you can still pass the drug test and you're good to go. So I'm um, going to give Alpen Organics a try. You can go over to alpenorganics.com and at checkout, if you use offer code our naked story with no spaces, you will actually receive 30% off. And if it's a Friday, then you'll actually receive 40% off. So if you want the, the 40% off, just wait till Friday. But if you need it right now and you want a discount, go ahead and head over to alpenorganics.com and at checkout, use Our Naked Story. And also check out their new app that they just came out with. It has a whole bunch of cool like recipes for vegan meals um, and also has different recipes for stuff that you can actually use your tinctures inside of. So um, again, you guys go check that out. It's alpenorganics.com and uh, at checkout, use Our Naked Story. Hello and enjoy the show. Psychedelic component yeah. of marijuana in it, and it was like oh, all this fancy go. stuff. I think there, yeah, I think there's efficacy behind CBD for some things mm-hmm. and for some people, mm-hmm. but I think in general, I don't. I've experimented with a a bunch and I've done decent sized doses but I'm also like not the guy who like an ibuprofen doesn't do anything for me so for pain so yeah so like I've never noticed ibuprofen to do anything do you have you grown up taking a lot of medicine before or not I didn't take a lot of medicine that's kind of our family was there it's kind of just more like drink water type of family yeah and then see how you feel after that yeah well and like I wasn't really sick when I was a kid or I guess I'd hurt myself every once in a while but like yeah it was more faking shit. sick. Like, I'm, I'm sick, I can't go to school, I got a paper due. Yeah. Have you ever faked sick to go to school? To go to school? Or, no, to not go to school. <laughs> faking oh, yeah. sick to go to school. That's oh, I had to throw up or have a fever to not go to school. You had to be really, really sick. And if I got to stay home from school, my ass was at the doctor's that afternoon. Yeah. There was, was no, like, mother. oh, we'll see you later. You know, have fun yeah. being sick. And there was no mental health rest days to then, stay home from my mother. And then she got pumped up with antibiotics oh yeah my mother put me on antibiotics for everything when I was a kid Uh, I think we're good to go is it working? yeah Yeah, for some reason it wasn't letting me uh, just continue the podcast so Uh, anyways so thank you guys for joining us really appreciate it thank you Uh, I want to talk to you uh, well both of you guys but you because you have got to be one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my entire life and it's kind of annoying no, but um, I, I, I want to definitely hear your story because it seems like uh, every time me and you communicate, 
uh, I don't know, I always hear these incredible stories about your runs, about your uh, your Frisbee golf and all your sponsors and stuff like that. So um, I think it'd be cool to have people, not just in the young generation, but people in nudism in, in general, um, to know that there's badass people that, that do nudism as well. So uh, we can start with the cliche questions if you want, and then we kind of just get started into it. So how did you get started into nudism? How did I get started? So in 1997, I was wow. 18 years old, <laughs> Got a, just got out of high school, and I was supposed to go to college. <laughs> didn't really want to go to college so I went to massage school and I was like okay this sounds pretty good like do massages get paid a bunch of money feels good makes people happy so I go to massage school and at massage school half the time you get a massage and half the time you give a massage mm -hmm. so it's freaking awesome well like um, so I was there and um, one day there was an, a note on the bulletin board that said like Go to Olive Dell Ranch for National Nude Weekend. Volunteer your time giving massages. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was just a dumb kid. I didn't really know anything. I never had experience. Like, I think I'd streaked around the block with, like, friends one day when we were, I don't know, <laughs> late on a Friday night or a Saturday night. Yeah. But, so we went. So I came out to Olive Dell. Um, it wasn't a very packed weekend. And so, like, there wasn't, like... I didn't end up giving that many massages mm -hmm. and we had like more than enough we had like six volunteers and uh, so but I just experienced the place and yeah. it was super fun and um, that was my first intro into nudism I guess and then were you able to try it out that day or no? yeah yeah I was naked the whole time oh hell yeah okay. <laughs> and then fast forward like um, 10 to 15 probably closer to 15 years mm -hmm. I was looking for a naked 5k to run and I found out about the Bear Burrow at the Olive Del Ranch and so yeah, I'll meet you later. Sorry. No, it's all good. And um, and then I came back out here, and then I've been coming here every year since, and then moved in in March. What year was the first year for the Bear Burrow? Do you remember? So I know it was 11 years yeah. last year, right? I'll this say 2009, yeah. So. 2009? So, yeah. I'd, last year, I think, was the 10th. Last this, year was the 10th? Yeah. Okay. So this would have been the 11th one? Well, hell yeah, man. And then you just kind of fell in love with it after that, for the most part? Well, the whole naked thing. Or do you even like it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, um, so I've always been a, like, a less is more kind of person when it comes to running. Mm -hmm. Like, I love barefoot running, and I love running in sandals. Mm -hmm. And I've been a big proponent of, like, like, shoes change the way you run. And mm -hmm. I've al also always thought that, like, wearing clothes changes the way you run so Do if you, you it does yeah definitely yeah. i think if you've got something holding your junk back whether your junk's on the bottom or your junk's on the top mm. you run in a form that might not be the ideal form to be economical and to sustain it for a long distance mm -hmm. so you don't realize it like if you're if you have you can have bad running form while wearing tight underwear or a bra okay but if you're not wearing tight underwear or a bra, your junk's going to be flopping around and you're going to feel it. So, yeah. so sometimes maybe being naked might be the way to listen to your body. So you kind of use that as like a tool to, to gauge whether you're running correctly or not. Not yeah. always correctly. Like, for example, like he, there's a big steep hill that goes down to Snake Alley. Yeah. Like, we play a game where I like to time, he times me running down that. And so my times running down that when I'm wearing things and when I'm naked are different always like he'll because I'll go faster when I'm wearing mm -hmm. things because I'm more if I fall I have something else to break yeah. the road rash yeah. and the pedals and pebbles and stuff but um he he always says that I'm a little bit slower when I'm running naked 
So, so that just might just be like the conscious thing of if I'm gonna fall. So, yeah. it, so if you did like knew you weren't gonna fall like that, do you think that you would have better times? I don't know. Or if you didn't have that thing in the back of your mind, where like I might get. I've seen his nasty that. fall when he was naked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't but how many times have I fall fallen wearing clothes? I've fallen a hundred, yeah. two hundred times more often than when I've been naked. Yeah. So it's the clothes fall, the white <laughs> fall. Well, what about you? How did you get started into uh, nudism? Well, this guy right here, um, we were friends for a long time before we were dating, and uh, we started traveling a little bit more together because we were living on the road, and we both had this open-ended lifestyle, and so the first time we were, we were starting to push our boundaries of, of friendships in Samoa, and we were up in Great Basin National Park, and there were these amazing alpine lakes, and I was like, I want photos of me naked in this lake and he's like okay cool (laughs) and so like at that point he's never seen me naked and I'm like I don't care like I love this setting I want these pictures you're taking them and so I did all these pictures in the water and I get out he's like well I want pictures too and so he took I took the pictures of him then that night we're sitting in our camper playing cards and we're like well it's kind of stupid now that we're in clothes around each other because we took all these pictures and uh so that was our introduction to each other. And probably a month later, I saw online there was the nude Olympics down at um, Shangri-La in oh, nice. Arizona. And we decided to go. And that was my first time at a nudist resort. Oh, yeah. And then I came to the Bear Barrow after yeah. that. And once I was here, I just fell in love with the place. So you guys already had that whole, like, comfortability with your own bodies and stuff like that. So how, how was your, your first experience at an actual resort then? Because your first experience was w- with the massage place, yeah. And then for you, just taking those pictures, did that help? You, did that help boost your confidence in order to to come to a place like this? Yeah, I mean, I've had a love hate relationship with my body my whole life. My weight fluctuates, and it just as the older I got, the more comfortable I got, and mm. it is what it is. And I started loving myself more, I guess, while coming to these places. But the first time we went, I went with him to Shangri-La. Like, mm-hmm. I, the whole ride there, I'm like, what if I can't stop laughing? What if I, what yeah. if this isn't for me? And he's like, within an hour, it's going to be normal for you. And he's like, we're all animals at the zoo. And, you know, that's all <laughs> that we are. Yeah, that's and he was 100% right. <laughs> right. Like, within an hour, it was, I was pretty comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Those thoughts, like, I think pop into everybody's head, like, yeah. before... The anticipation, the anticipation yeah. of like going your first time to like a nudist designated yeah. place, you know? Yeah. And then it's completely normal. <laughs> yeah. So you also, uh, you started the, um, the beer mile, which is one of all of Dell's, probably one of my favorite events to watch. I've never done it before, but <laughs> we it looks. We semi did it. Yeah. Oh yeah. We did the, the halfway one on the, the lap. Uh, what was it? Pirates weekend. The Pirates weekend. You did a relay beer the mile. Relay. But I heard yeah. you guys got first place, so we did. good but, for you guys. But just that it was one kind of cheating a little bit. One, we're the only ones who actually ran it. Yeah. Okay, everybody else got to use their golf carts and stuff. It was, it was definitely, it was an older crowd, so yeah. we were trying to accommodate, accommodate okay. for everybody. Fair enough. But, um, but was, I don't know, man. Just, just doing that one, because that was what, quarter, not even, it, what is it, there and back? It's a quarter, a quarter mile. mile? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that alone was just, uh. Just chug one bear. I can't imagine, like, chugging four. Yeah. So how did you get started with that? Like, did you come up with the idea yourself? Have no, you no. It so I've always liked drinking and I've always liked running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I haven't always liked running, but <laughs> and I guess I didn't like drinking when I was a little kid. But uh, I found out about, about the beer mile one day, like I don't know, ten years ago. Um, it's existed. It's a well-established thing, and I was like, 
how come I've never done this before? Like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the next day I went to the... And I had a beer sponsor at the time. I was sponsored by the Stone Brewing Company. Oh, nice. And so I went to the the local track and kind of hid my beers because it wasn't really where you were supposed to be drinking beers. But mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I ran a beer mile. And it was, it was good. It was great. It, I was drinking... Um, some stone it wasn't their IPA it was just normal stone ale but it was higher alcohol percentage not the best beer for a yeah. beer mile but it was fun and then I started doing I did a few more and I was good at it and then I started hosting beer miles and god I've probably hosted over 100 beer miles yeah. and I've won probably most of them yeah. <laughs> I, I get beat nowadays I was pretty good and pretty competitive at first and now I'm not as competitive or my desire isn't there and people are practicing. and there's better competitors. They're probably practicing at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all practice just in our own way. I practice the drinking part. I don't practice the running part, though. Uh, I don't know. Is there any more to that question? Oh, I guess. So when it first came to Olivedale, and the reason I yeah. ask is because um, I want to hear your side of the story because I remember when we talked to Becky, um, she was like, yeah, you know, Patrick brought it up to us and, um, you know, we're like, I oh, don't know, that would never work. Like, that's a crazy idea, crazy idea. Yeah. And one day you're like, fuck it. Like, let, or they're like, fuck it, let's have them do it. So, yeah, I just thought it would be an amenity, just a fun thing to do. Yeah. Like, people, if they were already here or staying. Because they're spending the night because the race is the next right. day. Yeah. It's, you don't want do people the day before. It's, yeah, yeah, it's the day before. And we really don't encourage anyone to, like, it's a good way to get people to stay. Because yeah. if yeah. you can't exactly. leave because you're drunk. <laughs> and we say no driving after the, yeah. the beer mile. Um, so... Yeah, we thought we'd maybe, like, there'd be, like, 10, 15 Five people. Five or 10 people, maybe. And, God, last year, there was, like, over 100 yeah. registered people. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. we kind of helped, like, hand people beers and stuff. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's done in a really good format here. Normally, people would bring their own beers. Yeah. But here, they charge you a set amount, and the beers are provided, so there's a chute, and you just come through the chute, and you get nice naked people, like you two, mm-hmm. to hand yeah. you a beer. And it's, I mean... The Bear Borough is fun. Like, running around with 300, 400 naked people out on the trails yeah. is cool. But, like, sometimes you're just, like, if you're if you're doing really well, you're, like, don't have anybody around you. Or you're just following, like, one butt the whole time. <laughs> and you kind of see people, like, out on the trail, like, throughout the course, which is great. Like, yeah. that, you like those moments are the best moments. But the Beer Mile, we do an out-and-back course. So it's just drunk people flopping around all over the place mm-hmm. and it's it's shared misery and drunkenness and so it's just like i don't know it's a spectacle that's it's worth like in the moments of doing it there's joy it's more suffering than joy yeah but in the moments right after it's all joy or why so, you, oh, cool. oh, no, i was gonna say that, that chugging the beer part after right? at least the second one i heard it was like joy. cheating to shotgun the beer yeah not allowed shotgunning to is not allowed my friend like shotgun for beer for the Pirates weekend. That's what I heard. But I heard that rules weren't stipulated, so it wasn't cheating without rules being stipulated. So your friends should be forgiven for that. (laughs) But normally... But if they do the beer mile at the Bear Borough, they cannot do that. Can you use a beer bowl? You cannot use a beer bowl. Just straight up from the can. Straight up from the can. Have you seen that uh, people doing, what do they call it, the finger pop or something like that? Uh, So you grab your can and you find the soft spot, like whatever, and I guess there's a soft spot in every single can. And you can just dig your your thumb in there, like not even that much pressure, pops it open. Now we don't gotta use a key or a knife or anything Whoa. anymore. So it's the same thing like shotgun. I've never done. I think it, it, yeah, it's definitely shotgunning. But you can just, open the beer with the way your they do finger. It, how, if I finish this one, I'll, I'll try it. Well, I don't know. It Maybe with count. one of those ones, I'll try it. <laughs> but yeah, so th- I guess on on every beer can, well, like once it's all compacted, you can feel around and you'll feel a soft spot. It looks like that. 
crazy. Like, there's somewhere. There's some kind of air bubble well, or something. That makes sense because remember those beers that we got from the brewery, like the top. The, I just, love like, that. Those are off. awesome. There is a thing too. I've seen it on like my Instagram ads, and they're they're advertising with the right person, but I haven't bought it yet. Yeah, I've got to find the generic one. But it's like it cuts the top of your beer yeah. can yes. off. I just saw that the inside other day. the rim, so there's no sharp edge. But yeah. like, your beer's got no head, but your beer's been open and fully carbonated, mm-hmm, and you yeah. can. Either pound it really quickly, or you can just you enjoy can add it mangoes good. and shit to it. Yeah, that's how like they were at the brewery because that thing just like totally yeah popped off on one. Yeah, of our dude. Cans. One time we were driving, and well, I mean this is one of them because they make them at the breweries, but the the tops of them kept popping off. Were well, you like, do, like, going we through doing elevation? Or? elevation I don't remember. But yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's how they make the can. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's like when we had um <laughs> fucking yeah, those cork the whenever they put beer in cork or like in the cork, cork. bottles, whatever. Uh, for some oh, reason, yeah. there's like extra, I don't know if there's extra pressure or something, but one time we were fucking driving home from my parents' house. No, the bottle fell over and it hit like the, this car seat in the perfect angle where the <laughs> bottle just like. Dude, so my son's in the back seat, in his car seat, right? Your son? My yeah. son, yeah. yeah. And dude, he's got beer all over him. Like, he's, he's like, something's <laughs> like, wet. It like, <laughs> like was so like, just carbonated out just everywhere like, in the back yeah, of the car. Exploded. It's like, drop him off to his mom, like, hey, uh, listen, he hasn't been drinking and mm-hmm. I haven't really been drinking, so like, you know. He's, he's not an alcoholic, you know. But yeah, uh, something's weird about that. So as a... It, it's kind of weird... Or let's do this. Let, let's go with you first. So how do I want to start this this conversation? So you're a runner. like, And you're not just like a runner like, oh, that'd be cool to wake up at 5 in the morning and go for a little jog before work. No. You like are a like while. a fucking legit ultramarathon runner, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've done some things, but yeah. You've done yeah. some things? So, so that's not your entire life. Or is it, for the most part? Mm, but I don't there were years where it was. Yeah, it was a it was a priority. Because okay. well. I mean, when I first met you, and like the little bit that I did talk to you, I thought that was like your everything. I thought that was how you made all your money. I thought that's how you you did everything. You know. Well, when you don't make very much money, it's not hard for that to be the avenue yeah. to make all your money. But yeah. it was the direction of. It, places you went to travel to and his circle of friends. Yeah, it's really it has really opened up doors to like a very fun life and to very good friendships and to good opportunities. Yeah. So how did you get started in that? So when you're younger, did you always like running or something? No, or? not at all. <laughs> Does anybody actually like running? Well, I do like running. Some people. Um, when I was a <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was a kid, I like I liked sports, but I was a chubby kid, and then like got older and was going to junior college and was like oh I should try to do a marathon I'd never done any races and so like started running like wasn't my thing but like put in an effort and like got the marathon done and um, did a few more and like wasn't great at it yeah. and then in my mid 20s or my early 20s I started playing frisbee golf and I started doing that professionally and I that was like my passion my end all like all I wanted to do is play frisbee golf and I chose my college because it was like near my home frisbee golf course and yeah. like paid for my college by hustling while playing frisbee golf. <laughs> um, and then I was dating a frisbee golf girl and we had a bad breakup and I was like, eh, what? like I found myself like needing to vent my mind and I went and started running again. Mm. Like, oh, I should try the marathon. And then I tried it and I was better at it um, than I was when I was younger. And I, I did, a, I got into running and like started getting not like, great at the marathon but like i was getting below three hours pretty consistently which is like an achievement it's nothing like special but it shows that you have some skill yeah um but i wasn't like getting much faster and um i heard about the ultra marathon from somebody and i was like really you can go 50 miles or 
like that's fucking crazy and so like I trained really hard to, to go farther and like I was still in my 20s at the time and at the time um, ultra marathoning was like an older person sport it was mainly people in their like 40s, 50s, 60s really? even yeah like the best people Shit. were in their 40s there was still good like really good people in their 30s there yeah, was yeah. a few there was a handful of people in their 20s that were were great and I wasn't great but I was in, I was young and I had ability and like did well to begin and then just got hooked on the community and going to beautiful places and and then quickly years go by you get older and yeah start becoming know. a little bit harder to run so what was like the the farthest you ever ran then um what done like race wise is I think hundred miles is like the longest but um, a few years ago I did a transcon I mean we've talked about this before yeah. but I, I ran from um, Huntington Beach to Boston fuck and how long did that take you uh, hundred and fourteen days and it wasn't like a thing to do it fast it was just yeah. like yeah just we it. were raising money for a, a kids charity called the hundred mile club which encourages kids to run 100 miles during the school year. Mm -hmm. And it's based on, like, doing a little, a little bit each day adds up to big things. Like, 100 miles during the school year. Like, kid doesn't think they can run 100 miles. Yeah. But if you do a mile, you know, every few days during the school week, by the end of the year, you've got 100 or 200 miles. And yeah. it's, like, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, running across the country was, like, you run 30 or 40 miles a day. And eventually you get across the whole country. And yeah. it's adds up to a big thing. So how was your like? How was your body after that? Were you fine or? Um, as soon as I was done, I wanted to come back home and race. Really? So it was just like I'm like I like, I ran in a way that like I was much stronger by the end of it. I was in good shape. I was going into it. I wasn't in bad shape, but I was like, I don't know. But but kind of use that as like a training option. Yeah, yeah. But then but then I did have some fatigue I, like the, the next week i came back i raced yeah and i was super excited i didn't do that great <laughs> but it was fun yeah. and then like the week after i did a much harder race and then i then i went through like a couple weeks of fatigue i was in really good shape but the body did need a race yeah. did need a, a rest so so running distances like that even like the 50 miles to me is, is mind-blowing I, I i can't run dude i hate running my fucking back hurts my knees hurts i can't breathe it's ridiculous i don't see that runner's high i don't know but anyways um is there like, is there something special you have to do in order to kind of take care of your body to get ready? Because you're talking about drinking beer and, and not, you had a beer sponsor and shit. And nothing to it but to do it. Really? <laughs> right? Really. So as long as, like, it is an interesting, like, so I think racing mm. is not necessarily good for your body. Especially if you're a competitive person and your training isn't as good as your desire to do well in a race. Okay. So, and that's almost everybody. Not everybody, but, like, like... What I've learned through racing is that, like, I can push past my body's limits. Mm -hmm. I can give more than my body is ready to give. Mm -hmm. It's not more than 100% because 100% is the most you can give. But when you give 90%, <laughs> yeah. like, you can break yourself. Mm -hmm. And you can achieve your fat. So, like, even in, even in short races, like, my best 5K or 10K that I ever ran was a little 10K in my hometown. Like, mm -hmm. it gets like 4,000 people like it's a big 10k locally and it's my, still my most like acclaimed vic like the victory that makes me the happiest yeah but so I was running in my sandals and I, I ran my ass off and I ran like a in the th like 32 and a half minutes I think for a 10k which was good for me it's 
good for some people, and there's other people that can blow that out of the water. Yeah. But I broke my foot in the process and oh, had shit. no clue that I broke my foot. And crossed the finish line, fin- feeling great, top of the world, and then I was like, oh, my foot hurts. Yeah. And it took like three or four months to get back to like Normal. decent running shape again to be able Fuck, to do anything. Man. Anyway, you just had, you just. Yeah, it was just Didn't like, feel it like all had that adrenaline going or whatever. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was a good day and <laughs> I don't know, and, and a bad day. Huh? And what about so you're a runner too, right? Um, I was more of a runner. I'm more of a hiker these days. Okay. I've had two knee surgeries, so yeah, that kind of put a stop to it. But yeah, yeah I didn't find running till I was in my 30s, and it, I fell hard and fast, and went from a goal of a half marathon. Did the half marathon. And the next year I did my first 50K. Like, it just went, I was all in for that amount of time. And um, I've done a couple 50 milers. I did 100K. But, um, yeah, it was a love for sure. And what got me to meet this guy in the process. (laughs) So is is that, did you guys meet through running then? So Yeah, we met on the island of Ometepe in Nicaragua Mm -hmm. at a really awesome race called Fuego Yagua. It's a fucking ass kicker of a race it's one of the toughest 50ks or 100ks there is first 50k (laughs) and yeah she raced 50k and did awesome out there and uh, once i started running i got involved in online communities and he had a pretty strong blog back in the day called bourbon feet and i would read this blog and i just i thought he was so funny and in my head i'm like oh my god we are gonna be such great friends if we ever meet at a race Mm -hmm. and at that time i was living in las vegas as a hairstylist and um I think my life was great. I was a single girl. I made a ton of money, and I was kind of bored out of my mind. Like, running and traveling for races was my life then, because all my friends had homes and kids, and that's not Mm. what I wanted. So I was reading his blog, and he was this guy who just ran every day and traveled to places and didn't have a lot of money, and he seemed like the happiest person I ever saw. And, Mm -hmm. like, so at that point in time, I started to be like, okay, I don't need all this money I don't need to buy all these things and I started like aligning myself that way having my own goals of like I wanted to get a camper and I wanted to live on the road and so I probably followed his blog for about a year and then I was going back to Nicaragua for my second year to run there and like a couple weeks before that they put out the list of who's going to be there and I saw he was going to be there I'm like whoa I get to meet him in person and the first night I saw we were in a I was in a bar with my friend and he was in the same bar and I tried to send him a beer because I knew he loved to drink beer from reading his blog right. and there was like communication that didn't happen and it never sent him the beer and so at the end <laughs> I like went up to him like hey I know you like we're gonna be great friends and he looked at me like I was crazy because I sounded crazy um, but by the end of the couple of days we got to talk a little bit more and we just ended up being friends for a while and seeing each other at races for the next few years. Now, when when you, so you were traveling before you even met him, or, or was that kind of around the same time you were trying to meet him? It was around the same time. Like, I was saving for a year to take off a year. I was calling it my midlife retirement. So, like, I bought a camper, and I was saving up for a year to take that year off. And then that year is when I met him. Nice. So, this is kind of a little sign up because I'm super jealous of people who can travel like that. That has always been a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. It still is, you know, but it's like you said, it's that, that saving for the year to, to live, a, uh, live mm-hmm. a year or but like how, if you don't want me asking, how do you set up yourself for success like that? So I, all the little things that I love to do, I just cut it out, you know, like the dinners out mm-hmm. on Friday nights, 
I was worked as a hairdresser in a salon, so like, loved clothes, new outfits, and I just, for that year, I stopped pretty much buying clothes, and I'd ask my girlfriends, can I borrow, can you like loan me 10 things this month, and can you loan me this, and like, I wore other people's clothes for a year, I didn't go out, like, I didn't take a trip for like a year, and just little by little, I chipped away at it, and mm -hmm. just did it. And then once you do it, you by that time you have a little bit of experience of learning to live simply. And once you hit the road, you cut that down and your expenses yeah. enormously. Because I I, I I like to think of myself as somebody who who does live simply. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of shit that I do that I don't have to do. You know, in that moment of time, like, like I was telling you guys yesterday, just made a hundred twenty five dollar mistake. I bought yeah. this laptop. That that was this. Whatever it turns out is the 2005 mm -hmm. MacBook. I can't do anything, you know. 2005 MacBooks can't do anything in yeah. 2020, <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, but um, yeah. I don't know. It's like, like I don't like buy expensive stuff, you know. Like I got a deal on the car that I just got. Mm -hmm. I got, you know, I ha I get all these deals, and like even when we go out, we don't buy like super expensive stuff. I don't buy clothes. Like yeah. pretty much all the clothes I have are all from Christmas gifts or yeah. birthday gifts. So that's it, you know. Or I people people yeah. just give it to me. Um, so so it, you have clothes? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. I actually have a lot of clothes. Surprisingly, I actually just got rid of a shitload of them because we're still trying. Even though we live in the trailers for that, we all we are constantly trying to downsize. Yeah. Um, but I also get stuck in that point, like where I am kind of okay with letting stuff go, but there's certain like big ticket items that I have that I'm just like, dude, I just can't get rid of it. Like I have a PA system right now. Mm -hmm. I haven't used that thing in fuck I don't know five years, and it just sits there. And I'm just like I'm like. I, I, I should just be able to throw it away, you know, or s try to sell, sell it, it, but I just can't, <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, but it away. It, it's very motivating to, yeah. to, to see people yeah. like that, which is like, just for a whole year, just, you know, yeah, years it just got go to the point where so it's like, fast. this is it, and I'm doing it now. Like, yeah. that's just, you get to that point where the goal is more important than the everyday life yeah. to get you there. I, uh, I was up late last night. So I got, I got off of work early yesterday because I wanted to be home. And uh, I just could not fall asleep. I had these these just like visions and dreams in my head that would just not shut the fuck up. And uh, something just kept telling me for France. I don't know why. I don't have done any research for France. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I even want to go to France. I don't even know anything about France. But um, something in you know, like my dream last night told me like, hey, like next year or in two years from now, you're going to live in France for six months. And I don't know what steps I have to take in order to make that reality, but it sounds like such a dope-ass reality. Yeah. But exactly what you said, it's it's just that, that little bit of saving and stuff like that. It's, I think it's more discipline, really, is what it yeah. comes down to. And hopefully, once I get to that point, then, you know, once I am on that road, then I don't have to, you know, spend a shitload of money or stuff like that. So if you so. want to talk about cheap living, like, you can go to France or Spain. Um, I went there a couple of years ago, and I, including travel... Um, it was about a thousand dollars for a month in the France fuck? and Spain and you Corsica. Got a flight to England and, for hundred and fifty dollars. Um, and Croatia. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I want Some that shit, and it's out there. Oh, good. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no. Some oh. of our friends were talking about going to Croatia because I think it's like the only place you can travel right now as like U.S. citizens. So I, I got a flight to. I had time to. I was doing a race in Corsica, and I got to Europe like a couple weeks ahead of time. Um, because I got this, it was actually a hundred dollar flight to London, um, that arrived at like midnight in London and, uh, uh, I didn't have anywhere to stay and L London's like a kind of an expensive town, I guess, but I didn't have anywhere to go and I really wasn't planning anything very well. So I got to, I got to London and it's like, okay, I'm here. <laughs> what do I do? 
walked around for like 40 minutes and was like, fuck, I need a place to stay. So I, I jumped on uh, a bus to Paris. Mm-hmm. It was like 40 bucks or 50 bucks to a bus for a bus to Paris. And, uh, and there was a place I could sleep on the bus. <laughs> overnight yeah, yeah we've done that before where if it's if you're traveling somewhere else and you don't want a place to stay you're like it's not the most comfy thing but we'll take a night bus ride or a night yeah. train ride because it's two birds with one stone yeah. yeah so so i got to paris in the early morning and then i was like fuck i'm in paris what do i do now so i got some baguettes and an espresso and like i just go to the louvre yeah, like, yeah. And so i went to the i got a big old backpack so i walked my ass over to the louvre and like could see the Eiffel like I walked around and I could see the Eiffel Tower from a distance I should have gone and saw the Eiffel Tower yeah, like, saw then, it whatever We're but good. then like <laughs> Paris was cool but it was like um, you know like I was by myself I wasn't with, I was together with Sam but she wasn't on the trip with me okay. and so I was like this would be a great place if like I had like my lover with me and so I was like fuck well, I'm in Paris and so I spent a half a day in Paris and I was like where do I go yeah. so I was like typing in my phone where's the cheapest place I can fly to and I got a $42 ticket to Croatia. <laughs> so next, I had no plans of going to Croatia. Yeah. I was just like, that's the cheapest place I could fly to. <laughs> and so I was, so that evening, I found myself in Croatia. And oh. Croatia was fucking awesome. I spent, I don't know, four or five days in nice. traveling around Croatia. And that place is fucking awesome and super yeah. cheap. So so when you guys are talking about like, like cheap, like you can do these things for, for cheap, is that, are you still able to see things? Are you still able to do things? Yeah. Or are you just sitting there like in a park like the whole time or... Yeah, or is everything just everything just what you want to do? We don't often eat out at restaurants or drink in bars. Like yeah. we, we do every once in a while. If it's something special, we mm-hmm. will. But um, we buy our food from stores and buy our booze from stores mm-hmm. and just don't don't we shop, spend yeah, our money on that. We shop cheap. We like to cook. Yeah, uh, we do booze it up a little bit, but <laughs> uh, but on the cheap. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's why I'm glad I have her. She's an amazing cook, and I can't even make an egg, dude. It's absolutely... I don't know what happened. Something I used to be able to. I used to make breakfast and shit for myself all the time, and then I got a girlfriend, and then she started doing it for me, and so it's your fault. Well, does he do anything for you? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I lift heavy shit. That's like all okay. I contribute. Do you open the pickle jar or something? Yeah. yeah. So I open pickle jars, and when we go hiking, I can carry her back. He built me this table, so that was pretty cool. And okay. I build... I build okay. You can build stuff, there. <laughs> yeah, it's not much to offer, but all right. it's all I got, you know. Yeah. Well, um, oh man, I'm really, I already know the story behind it, but I'm always fascinated with your necklace, the shovel thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so just because I want to ha- have everybody else hear that okay. story. So if you could just tell me what's the deal with these these sand shovels. All right, so I wear a shovel around my neck. It lo- kind of looks like a Coke spoon. I've never <laughs> done cocaine before in my life. If you do cocaine, I'm not judging you. Whatever. I, I'm just saying that, like, that's not... But that's what it looks like. I think it's actually from My Little Pony. <laughs> but, uh... So, I, I've grown up and lived at the beach most of my life. And there's nowhere I like to run more than, like, the soft sand at the South Bay, Manhattan, Hermosa Beach. So, before moving to Olivedale, I lived at the, at the beach. And I would run on the beach every single day or every single day that I could when I was around. I still travel like half the year, but when I'd get back to town, uh, I'd be running on the beach. So I started picking up shit while I was running. Like some, some days it'd be trash and some days it'd be toys or whatever. And I started noticing like how many shovels I'd pick up. Like I'd, I'd pick up all these beach toys, but like for some reason shovels I gravitated towards. And 
in the course of a year, I'd maybe pick up about 500 shovels. So, like, I don't know why these kids are fucking, like, kids are spoiled, I don't know. But, like, I guess if you do the numbers of, like, how many kids go to the beach, each kid brings six shovels, yeah. you know, one shovel gets left, mom's one shovel tired, gets broken, buddy, mom's tired. tired. A couple get washed in the ocean, some get buried, some get thrown far away. So, anyway, I'd find all these shovels, and then I had all these shovels. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. I'm also a consumer, and uh, I don't know if capitalist is the right word, but I'm a consumer of modern American who feels like I gotta buy shit and like mm-hmm. fill the void with like what the newest, latest, and greatest. And I don't have that much money, and like I still do buy some crap that I shouldn't yeah. buy, like we all do. But finding stuff on the beach and having this desire of like treasure, like and the, like the shovels, kind of filled that void of like, do I need to go to Target and buy some crap that I yeah, don't need? Yeah. I mean, I still go to the 99 cent store and buy some crap that I don't need, but whatever. So I find all these shovels. Now I had all, like, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shovels. Like, what the fuck am I going to do with all these (laughs) shovels? Like, I give them to friends' kids, but you only have so many friends' kids that, like, they don't each need, like, 65 shovels. Well, thanks for another shovel. (laughs) So when I started, um, I started hosting Beer Miles, and we have friends that would make these amulets. I also wear a peace sign amulet that was made by a friend of mine who passed away um, but he'd make these amulets that like instead of metals they gave away like kind of like it's it's a piece of jewelry basically clay or ceramic peace sign whatever um, something that you could wear every day like so you run a race you, you run a marathon you know you get a big old gold medal or something like it's cool but you're not going to go wear it every yeah. day and so but the amulets um, I wear uh, so anyway I decided to put a string through these shovels and be like, okay, every finisher of the beer mile gets a shovel on a string or a shovel amulet. And so I started doing that and people got, ex- like, I well, I got excited about it. Yeah. And then people got excited about it and they wanted different shovels, different colored shovels. And, like, I have friends who've run the toughest races in the world and won the coolest medals in the world. And they put their shovel amulet, like, in front of their Boston Marathon uh, metal like on their wall like as a prized possession Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, it was exciting like before we were dating and i knew he did the shovel thing and i was excited to get my first shovel yeah. and what he used to do is if it was your first beer mile you get a yellow shovel because those are like the most common ones and he had the most of those so like i got my yellow on the first one you're like ooh, i can't wait to get one of those other ones that are cool <laughs> and if you got one that still had sand on it or like a kid's name written on it like yeah. between the running community like we kind of came a thing like ooh, what's my next shovel that i'm gonna get and the next beer mile. I probably awesome. I probably know more about like plastic shovel design <laughs> than like there's probably somebody out there that knows more, but like yeah, there's I've probably found at least like two hundred different shovel designs. Really? And like you can see where the injection mold goes in and like you could look at like six shovels and they could look the same to you and be like, no, nah, those are like totally different. So you're awesome. Oh, and th- so anyway, the shovel around my neck, um, when I was during the Transcon, and, and I find shovel like I don't just find them on the beach. I found them, I find them everywhere. I find them on like rivers. I find them in fucking parking lots in the middle of the ghetto. <laughs> um, and I, I do have an Instagram, a shovel a day. If you want to follow it, you can see some of the shovels that I've found. Um, I haven't been running on the beach, so I haven't been posting as much as as I used to. But anyway, the shovel I wear around my neck during the Transcon. I was in the middle of Arizona on the side of the road, and I was running with a buddy of mine. And I found this shovel. And I'm like, hey, Jup, you'll never guess what I found. And he's like, what, what? 
And I was like, I can't show you. <laughs> and so we ran, I ran like another quarter mile and I found a shoelace on the ground. So I strung it up and put it around my neck. I'm like, hey, Jeff, check this out. The same shoelace? <laughs> same shoelace, yeah. Really? And I thought it was something I was going to lose like in a couple weeks. Yeah. And this was in 2015. Nice. And it's Sam, Sam, Sam likes it and she, but it gets kind of stinky. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, the strings get kind of stinky. So <laughs> whatever. I wash it sometimes. Well, I wash it with me, but I, maybe I should wash myself more and pay a little more attention to the, the shovel. So I don't know how much time you guys have, uh, but I know that you also, I really want to kind of touch on that, your connection with the Born to Run type yeah. of thing. Um, if you can kind of explain, one, kind of what that is. Um, the only reason I ask is because uh, it's a book that I think she's trying to read right now. Uh, yeah, like I will get to through. it eventually, but I've heard the stories from it. And I know that you do have some kind of connection with it. Um, so I think it'd be kind of cool to kind of hear your side of the story, I guess. Okay, so it's uh, my connection with Born to Run, I guess. Um, and the, there's a character in the book. Um, it's a true story mm-hmm. uh, named Barefoot Ted, who went down to the Copper Canyons to go run in a 50-mile ultramarathon against the Tarahumara Indians uh, back in 2006. And there's a lot more to the story. I'm just going to say that, just jump around a little bit. But anyway, Ted, he was barefoot Ted. So he was big into barefoot running. And he was wearing the Vibram Five Fingers at the time, the little, like, sock foot glove things. Um, But anyway, the Tarmar Indians in the Copper Canyons are known to be some of the greatest endurance runners in the world. Um, Basically out of necessity, because their life, they live in a very remote terrain that's mountainous and they have they don't have vehicles or horses to ride and so they traverse long distances on a daily basis and they have a sport called the rarahipari where they kick a little wooden ball up to like 100 kilometers um, and race village against village and gamble and, <laughs> and gamble but <laughs> but what's unique about them is they run that it's the resources they have for shoes is it used to be deer deer hides but in since the 1900s they started using tires and so they would make simple sandals out of tire with a piece of leather and then strap the tire to the bottom of their feet and if you still go to the state of chihuahua mexico and you see taramar if you see people wearing tire sandals on their feet chances are they're taramara indians Uh, a, a cool fact about the taramara is that when the conquistadors came you had a choice. You could either assimilate and join the Christian religion, probably be treated as a second-class citizen, maybe maybe worked for some people or whatever, and they found the Lord, and it was great and awesome. Yeah. But for most people, it probably wasn't like really like they were happy with their way of life. Yeah. You could fight, and chances are your artillery artillery wasn't as good as theirs, and yeah, you probably would die. Mm. Um, you could get sick and die too. <laughs> yeah. Or you could run and hide to one of the most remote places in North America, which is the Copper Canyons mm-hmm. of Chihuahua, and that's what the Taramara did, and they still exist to this day, and they're some of the most homogeneous indigenous people of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to the book Born to Run, there's this... Ted was taught how to make sandals by some Taramari. Came back, started a sandal company called the Luna Sandal Company. Um, about ten years ago, I started racing, or I started. I got a pair of Luna sandals. Like these are the fucking awesome. Yeah. This is what I want to run in. I was big in. I ran 
did almost all my training barefoot on the beach, and so I wanted to run in something as similar as to being barefoot on the beach. Got some Luna sandals, started running in them, then started going down to the Copper Canyons to go race in this 50-miler with the Taramara, became friends with a bunch of Taramara, became friends with a bunch of other people, became friends with Caballo Blanco, who's the main character in the book Born to Run, then became friends with the author of Born to Run. Sam came down to the Copper Canyons and raced. Yeah, the book has a very... When it connects with you, it connects with you. And so many people in our community, like I, I trained for my first half marathon, became obsessed, and a girl I worked with said, you got to read this book, Born to Run, if you yeah. love running this much. And I read the book, and as soon as the book was over, I needed to know more. I needed to know who these people were. Uh-huh. Just people who see life in a very similar way. And within a year, I was down in the Copper Canyons of Mexico. And then you're like, oh my god, these are the people from this best-selling New York Times book. And they're real people, and it's a real community. And um, it's very accepting. And yeah, like, like the champion of the Taramara, Arnofo Kimari. It's like now a friend. Yeah. He, he doesn't speak very good. He speaks Spanish better than I speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, much better than I do. But he's not Spanish isn't his language. Yeah. His language is Taramara. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't speak Spanish very good. And I don't speak Taramara. I know a couple words. But we we've, we've created a bond and a friendship. And um, so now there's a race in Los Olivos, California, um, near Santa Bar- in the hills above Santa Barbara, called the Born to Run Ultra Marathon. And it's become what's it's become what's called the Burning Man of Ultra Marathons. You don't have to be a runner to go there. There's live bands. There's some na- there's a naked run too yeah. that I, I'm partly responsible for. <laughs> but uh, and it's fucking it's yeah probably it's the most amazing time. And it was supposed to be postponed till October. We'll see if it happens. Mm. Might it's in May of every year. So next oh. May is probably the time to look for that. Yeah. But it's fucking awesome. It's like, a- I've, I've been to the burn, and I, I love Burning Man, um, but going to Born to Run is the place I consider home. Really? Like, yeah. yeah. And oh, it's inviting shit. of everybody. It's, the race director is one of the characters in the book Born to Run 2, Luis Escobar. He went down there, and he's written about in the book. He doesn't have one of the main roles, but he's, yeah. like, he's in there. <laughs> okay. Well, hell yeah. And, that, and then these... So I... Tom actually let me borrow some of these Luna sandals yeah. one time. And they're fucking legit. And are, are they supposed to be some, like better for you or anything? Or like, what's the comparison between like the Nike fucking super cushiony shit or whatever? So, I mean, any shoe or footwear is a tool. And there's different tools for different things. Mm. But with a Luna sandal, it's more about um, zero heel to toe drop, a, like a less is more, letting your foot act naturally in letting you have ground feel it's so ted barefoot ted the founder of the company um compares them to portable ground okay (laughs) but it just it prevents abrasion from the bottom of your foot but still lets you feel feel the world and let you act naturally yeah um they're great for a lot of things and there's nothing wrong with a cushion shoe for some things um but you can like like i was saying with clothes you can develop if you have a shoe with a shit ton of cushion you can develop bad habits that you don't realize you're doing. And so over time, you, you will get injuries and you will get pain. And like you can do really bad things to your body. And you actually land with more force when you have cushion than if you don't have cushion. If you don't have cushion, you, if you land with force, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, so you say, it. so you go, okay, I need to land softer. Yeah. Yeah. 
the year I lived on the road that first year, I wore Luna sandals every single day for a year. And then I went back to Las Vegas and was going to go out with my girlfriends and my butt did not fit in any shoe that I had before. None of the uh. heels that my feet were scrunched into for many years because my foot now had its natural shape when yeah. it's not confined in a shoe mm -hmm. like my toe splayed and I had got rid of every single shoe that no longer fit me. <laughs> so, and do you run in Luna sandals now yeah. or do you hike and stuff? Yeah. Luna sandals? Yep. Yeah, I like them a lot. The, the one thing that I didn't like was the... It's probably just because I wasn't used to it, but that webbing started cutting the... Yeah, so with, with anything, if you've got, like, parts of your foot that haven't been touched... Yeah. But, like, if you... I mean, you are... But you probably were a flip-flop wearer, but you're probably doing stuff a little bit more aggressive in your Lunas. Yeah, um, a little bit more. It's either that or barefoot. Like, it, yeah. If the ground's not hot, I'll just go barefoot. It doesn't... Like, the only place I found barefoot wasn't good was in Hawaii because of the lava rocks. It was okay. really, really, really yeah. shot sharp well when, when it's not hot yeah. yeah dude i was out there one time it was for the the poker walk yeah and it was like it's like right in the morning when we started i was like oh i'll be good like i never wear shoes out there dude, it was, well, it was like, like 11 Ju yeah it was like july or something like that last year uh, it's it was the same hot. time as this year so yeah. it was pretty fucking hot dude. Okay. and then all of a sudden that sun just started beating on that ground i've never been in that much pain before like i wanted to cry i didn't have any sandals i'm like trying to find shade and there's no shade out there so i'm like fucking dying dude and everybody's like Ooh, so you told you to wear sandals. But, uh, so now I'm at least going to carry sandals okay. with me wherever I go. So, so, just in case. When I was training for my first 100 mile run, I thought you had to be tough. Mm. I was like, okay, gotta, like, go into tough mode. And I'm, I'm not, like, like a total wussy, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to say I'm necessarily tough, but I was like, okay, gotta be tough. 100 miler, like, I don't know what's going to happen. So, like, and I'd run on the beach every day, and I would go to the beach on the very hottest days, like where the sand burns and burns. And yeah. so I would run until huge blisters would would pot would form on the top on the bottom of my feet. Yeah. And then they would burn off and puss out. <laughs> and then it's just raw skin. Yeah. And then I would run on that. And I would just keep running. I'd be like, "Gotta be tough. Gotta be tough." Hate to break it to you, I think you're tougher than you think you're. And th and then I and then some days though, I would put tar in the blister. Fuck. So, because the tar would make it not hurt as much, because um, it would be like, okay, like I got this new foot made out of tar, yeah. and then and then I ran my first hundred mile race, and I was like, it didn't come easy, but I was like, this was way easier than I expected. I didn't yeah. have to be that tough. That was stupid. <laughs> I took down a notch. What's the? Um, you're saying movie El Dorado, uh, the cartoon. Uh, Do you guys yeah. know what I'm talking about? It's been a while, but yeah. The, whatever tribe that they, they went and found, it's an actual tribe, but they used to do, um, like right when you're born, they, like, put, like, sear uh, rubber on the bottom of their feet. Jeez. And every year, you know, every time your foot would get bigger, they kept adding more and more rubber. So all these people had, yeah, rubber on the bottom of their huh. feet. So, so yours is just, you just, like, hot tar? Or, like, what? No, no, like, when you go to the beach and tar washes up on the... Oh, okay, I, would, okay, I would okay. stick that. I thought the, you were like had a bucket of fucking no, no. <laughs> I'd be on the tar. beach during my run, and my foot okay. would have this open blister that yeah, was yeah. like burning on the sand. And then I'd go so down by the water, and the I'd find there. some tar on the beach, okay. and then I'd put Which that. Is still, it's still crazy, just let you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't go. Yeah, hey, I thought you were dipping your foot in no. fucking tar. But so an interesting thing about barefoot running, though, is like, if you go barefoot for like three weeks of like just totally barefoot and like mm -hmm. doing you know different temperatures walking on asphalt and whatever your feet are going to get about as strong as they're ever going to get 
and if you go three weeks of wearing shoes afterwards, your feet are going to revert back to normal. Yeah. But it's it's an interesting thing to learn. Is this is like we're given these like these rejuvenating shoes that like we don't you don't need shoes for most things. Yeah. It's it is good. It is a good tool, like you're saying. Like it is probably probably smarter and better for. 100% of the people yeah. who are blistering from hot sand yeah. to put on a shoe or a sock or a sandal yeah. than to blister and to put tar into it. That's but not... once you get over that blister, <laughs> then you're good to go. You know? yeah. yeah, man, when we weren't... Work, we didn't work for like three months and I pretty mm-hmm. much, the only time I wore shoes was like to go to the store or wherever I had to wear shoes. Mm-hmm. And dude, I could go on anywhere around here. I, I felt like I could do anything you know, with shoes on. Then I got my job, started wearing shoes throughout the day. And even now, like, I don't wear shoes if I'm not at work, yeah. but even when I'm at home, dude, it's yeah. still, it doesn't hurt as bad, but it hurts worse than it did like, when... More like when it's hot, and you don't have shoes. That's true. Well, then, but another thing happens when you don't wear shoes, and then you do wear shoes. The top, like, so <laughs> I suffered a, a, I stepped on a weed about three weeks ago, and suffered, like, a deep puncture into the bottom of my foot. Jeez. And so I was, like, putting a Band-Aid on it and letting it heal. Wearing my sandals, not going barefoot, and then I was playing paddle tennis the other night. And I was like, I should put on some. Sh- I, I decided to put on shoes, and I always play paddle tennis barefoot. Mm-hmm. And like I've always, paddle tennis is kind of like tennis, kind of like pickleball. It's kind of like a hybrid between. Play the tennis ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I like this, and I like playing barefoot rather than shoes because I think the shoes allow you to put torque on your knees mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be able to put on them. No. So like, although I might not be able to get to some balls. Oh, I won't put that torque on my knees. Yeah. But anyways, but I was wearing shoes on this occasion. So I wore shoes the other day for like the first time in a long time. And I played three sets. So not very much. Maybe yeah. like an hour or so of paddle tennis. And now my big toenail's about to pop off. Oh, <laughs> it got Jesus, blistered. Dude. It got a blister. Used to having yeah, something on because top of it. so as tough as the bottom of my feet are, the top. The, the my other. toenails have become so Fragile. Fragile. Yeah, <laughs> fragile because they're not used to a sh- like. Yeah. You know they're not used to a shoe pushing on them. And, and then, this is a whole other thing. I'm going to try to do this quickly because this oh, has been a good. super long podcast. You're good. You're good. Um, so like, one like barefoot running, I think is great. Mm-hmm. Bare being barefoot is great. And people are like, but don't you need the protection of a shoe? And like, yes and no. And like, where a sandal is super great for like ultra marathons, mm-hmm. is. Think about doing this. Like, tap your hands on the table where your fingernails hit a hard... Like, if you tapped your fingers on the table... Mm. You can probably hear this right now. You do it for a minute. Yeah, it feels all right. Doesn't really hurt that much. You do it for five minutes. Your fingernail tips, they're going to be like, "Eh, well, this is, like, not the greatest. Yeah. Let's pretend you're running. Every step you take, your shoes or your toes are touching the are hitting the front of your shoes. Yeah. yeah. So you're it's not making that kind of noise. It's not the same exact abrasion as mm-hmm. doing that. But we'll just say every single step, it's one tap on the table with your fingernails. Yeah. So you do this for twenty minutes. Your fingernails are probably gonna hurt. Yeah. You do this for forty minutes. It's gonna be a little worse. You run for forty minutes, your feet get a little discomfort. Mm. You run for four hours. You do a marathon, you know, and you're a four hour marathoner. You might lose a toenail. Yeah. You you might not. You might be okay. You do. You're, you're going to do a 50 miler. You do it for 10 hours. 10 hours of tapping your fingernails on this table. Your fingernails are probably going to start popping off. Yeah. <laughs> you do that. You wearing a shoe. You might lose a couple of toenails. You do it for 24 hours. 
chances are you're gonna lose you do a hundred mile race chances are you're gonna lose a toenail or two so do a lot of ultra marathoners not have toenails or what correct and and a lot of people wear it as a badge of honor too yeah okay yeah you've got because then once your big toenail falls off you don't have to worry about your toenail hitting your shoe for at least six months until it grows back so it's kind of a relief but you run in a sandal your toenails aren't hitting anything Yeah, yeah and then you also when you know that you have the vulnerability of maybe like kicking rocks and stuff, mm. you're aware at first, but then that awareness almost becomes subconscious. So it's natural. And you yeah. still will like you will kick something someday, yeah, yeah. but for the most part, you, you like I'm amazed at how little I've actually <laughs> kicked rocks. I when I'm wearing shoes, I yeah. kicked a lot more rocks than I kick when I wear sandals. Dude, I don't even know what the fucking reason is for nails, fingernails maybe. I, I, I don't know. But toenails, dude, at least in the climbing community, like something, so because our shoes are like this, and they push so much, like if, I, if my toenails aren't super, super, like mm-hmm. short, what they'll do is they'll push, then the back of the nail will actually start lifting. So then my, and then another nail will grow into it. So I literally have like a second layer, yeah, but it's still attached. Like it's, layers of toenails. So do weird. climbers get them removed at all? So I want to. Because in, there are in the running runners, community, I don't know they have had them removed. It's like on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Just going. Have you thought about just changing it up and not wearing shoes while climbing? So I have. The only thing is that there's... So once you get to a certain level, I I think shoes... Well, I'm not a professional. Do they make a toeless shoe? So so that's the reason why you have climbing shoes. It's for that toe. Because what happens... So you have an aggressive shoe. And the aggressive shoe pretty much has like a little point at the end of it. Like ballerina shoes. So they're like ballerina shoes. So So you can focus all your weight on that. On just this tiny little knob, you know, you can put your toe on there. And that's all you're pushing your whole body weight against, you know. But when you're... Isn't that cheating? Well, (laughs) see, I don't know, man. Because, I mean, climbing shoes have been around for a while. So, well, I guess what, since like the 60s or 70s probably. Do you wear climbing gloves? No. Can you, would you want all your hand to focus on one little point? So, so I think in theory it makes sense. But it's kind of like what you said, that whole like badge of honor of like having those blisters on your hands constantly, having those calluses. It's kind of cool. Um, but that's, I get that all the time. Like I'll, like if my parents see my, my blisters and stuff or my grandma, she's like, why don't you wear gloves? Why I've never seen one rock climber wear gloves. I don't know why, but it's just something you don't do. Nobody's ever explained it to you. Nobody's ever, it's just, you don't, you don't wear gloves. There are and people who don't wear shoes, right? Th- that is true. Yeah. One of the, uh, best client, I forgot his name, but, um, he actually, I, th- I want to say he, so there's a scale that's V0 to, I want to say it's like V17 or 18 now mm-hmm. is like the highest scale. And I think he just climbed one of the first V17s or 16s or 18, whatever, um, barefoot. He always climbs oh, barefoot, yeah. chocks his feet up and everything. But, that's um, but and then there's also that part of the community is like, well, it's kind of cheating, you know, cause he, you know, he's got five extra, you know, toes. <laughs> I'm like, so that's I don't know, cheap. man, that's like pretty much so like, I don't know, like. I don't know what animals are the best climbers. Goats. Would a, would a goat be better in shoes, do you think? I don't think so. Well, they got hoofs. And that's pretty much what, what climbing shoes do, is, is they make you have hoofs, I guess. Well, you gotta, yeah. I think you should just learn, like, spend an hour a day to learn to use your toes. You should, huh? Sit here and try to paint a, like, paint a picture of Elizabeth with your toes. <laughs> you know, your wall, you can try on. That's true, yeah. Hey, get back on this thing, dude. It's you fucking know, it's hot, rocks, though. But... Yeah. yeah, it's hot. And this thing's... Seems hard, man. How many people do you think are still listening to this podcast? By nobody. Now? <laughs> nobody. Nobody <laughs> listens. But I got two listeners. Me and Elizabeth. No, I'm just kidding. Now, actually, we got like seven thousand people that listen to our old podcast. So. Yeah. But we can finish it up. But I appreciate you guys' uh, your time coming yeah, over. Thank you. Thank it you. was delightful. So, yeah.
Awesome. Well, cheers. 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 Thank you very much. Salute.